For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us at Redemption Church this morning. We're kicking off our Christmas series today called A Calm and Quiet Christmas. And in this series, what we're doing is we're walking through Psalm 131. Now, I first really discovered Psalm 131, or at least it first hit me about two years ago. And so I've, I've said or referenced a couple times maybe on stage or uh, to people I'm close with that this is my vacation psalm. And the reason why I say that is because I first read it on the first day of a vacation, uh, I think it was in November of 2019. And at that point in my life, there were a couple of factors out there that were affecting me in here. Things going on, uh, not like in the world, I guess, but just more in my own world that were out of my control and they were stealing my calm and my quiet. And every time something happened that would disrupt what I thought was going to happen or what would be true in the future, every time something else would happen that would impede that, I would lose my calm and quiet all over again. And so I went on this vacation with Lindsay and a couple of our friends. And before the very first day, I opened up my, my Bible and it was just uh, it happened that I was in Psalm 131 that day. And I read through this and I got to that line, the critical line where David says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. But I have calmed and quieted my soul. As if David was saying, uh, this isn't someone else's responsibility. It's not the responsibility of changed circumstances. It's not somebody teaching me how to do it. David says, I'm going to take responsibility for this myself. I have calmed and quieted my soul. I said, well, I want that. And so I ran or read through the rest of the psalm. And David shows in there how he went about calming and quieting his soul. Now, I preached a sermon on this psalm about two years ago. It was just a couple of weeks after that particular reading for me. And what I want to do in this series is I want to expound upon that original sermon and, uh, and then give us a little bit more depth of understanding of how David was able to do this so that you and I might be able to do this as well, that we might arrive at a place where we can say, circumstances nor people have changed, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And we're going to see this morning where David begins. This psalm is really a prayer. And so David begins by taking his calm and quiet or his need for calm and quiet to the proper place. And so I want to look at that this morning. And then next week, we'll look at three practices that David had learned. But we know this in our Christian faith, that practices of our Christian faith come after a proper understanding of our salvation first, or a proper understanding of grace. And once we know then where our salvation comes from, then we do the practices. And so we don't start with the practices today, because oftentimes if we just start with do this, do this, do this, then we take it too much upon ourselves, and we forget where our strength comes from. So this morning, I want to look at two words, the very first two words of the psalm, O Lord, O Lord. I want to look at these two words because David's proper perspective of God was what allowed him to arrive at a place where he could say, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Now, most scholars believe that when David wrote this, um, this particular psalm, that it was in a season of life. Now, most of David's life was pretty messed up, but this particular season of life, there was a moment when David was anointed king. He was a, a, just a young man when that happened. And so most people think this psalm was written between that moment of being anointed king and the moment when he was crowned king. 
And as you read through the scriptures, a lot of David's life happens in this season, and then a lot of David's life happens after he's crowned king. It's probably like 50-50 or so. And some of the Psalms are in the waiting period, and some of the Psalms are after he's been named king. This particular one happens sometime between that and that. Anointed and crowned. A long period of time, by the way. Now, in that moment, I think what we can see is, or, or in that gap, that season for David, I think we can relate to uh, our own lives in a few different ways. In this season, there were some times of victory. And there were times when, uh, when David's praises were sung, or he was welcomed into the king's court, and he played the harp for the king, and he ate from the king's table, and he didn't have to pay taxes. I mean, that's a, that's a good thing, right? And so there were those seasons. And then there were other seasons where that same king threw a spear at his head, where David had to run, where David lost friends, where David lost family, where David found himself in a cave surrounded by a bunch of, as the scripture says, scoundrels, one text says. And so there were these good moments and these bad moments, but in all of that, David had this future reality, this promise of God that was out there. And it would have been very easy for David to walk through this extended season, no matter if it was the good or the bad, and say, as long as I can keep trucking along, I'm going to get to that moment because it was a promise of God. And then when I do, I will calm and quiet my soul. I'm going to look out to that future time and it all is going to be good. I mean, he's going to have no more enemy, at least no more powerful enemy. He's going to have whatever he wants from a physical or material perspective. He's no longer going to have to run in the caves and all of that, though actually he did end up doing that, which is part of the story. But he could have looked and said, that's the moment. That's when I will calm and quiet my soul. And we do this. We do this when we're uh, in the season of waiting, and, and sometimes when it's, um, when it's good, we say, oh, good, I've calmed and quieted my soul. But then it becomes bad and we lose our calm and quiet, or it's good in the season of waiting, but our soul isn't calm and quiet because we're so fixed on that future reality that everything in the, in the present doesn't seem quite good enough, and we're just striving after that, I'll call it a distorted future reality. A distorted future reality that we begin to think, once I get there, it starts with once I graduate high school. Actually, it starts with once I get my license. Once I get my license, then I'll be free. No, then you'll be broke. Once I graduate. Okay, then once I graduate college. Okay, once I get married. Once we have kids. When the kids go to school. When I get promoted. When the business gets started. When I retire. And there are these distorted future realities. I call them distorted because what happens when you get there? You realize you're at no more calm and quiet than you were back there. And your eyes shift to the next one, the next distorted future reality. And we can live our whole lives no calm, no quiet. Because we're completely dependent, or we think we are, on calm and quiet being arriving at the distorted future reality. David learned something very valuable, how to calm and quiet his soul, both in the season of upheaval and with an incredible 
a bit distorted future reality out in front of him. And I want to try during this series to, to, to teach for me and for you what David had learned. And it starts with these two words, oh, Lord. It was David's perspective of God that allowed him to be at peace as he awaited the promise. And his prayer of Psalm 131 starts with those two simple words, oh, Lord. So what did David mean? Well, Psalm 34 gives us a little bit of a, a glimpse into David's perspective of God. Psalm 34, reading in verse four through eight, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, David's talking about himself, by the way, when he was king, most people think he wrote this one. This poor man cried, David says, and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and God delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. In these five verses here, David, he he reveals to us a little bit about the perspective that he had of God so that he could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. So what is that perspective? Oh, Lord, first, when, when, when David started his prayer, oh, Jehovah, he, he was saying, oh, sovereign one. Oh, sovereign one. The word sovereign to mean the, he who is in charge, he who is in absolute control. David, we really read through all of the Psalms and even the other books that reference him. David never seemed to wrestle with whether or not God was sovereign or in charge. But we do. And although David didn't, many other Bible characters did. So I don't think they were all perfect. David had his own flaws. But David understood something about the sovereign nature of God, that even though he had been uh, um, anointed king and not yet crowned king, that the, the time between here and there was written by God and that David did not have to force the issue. See, one of the things that tests our belief in the sovereign nature of God is when we're in the season of waiting, what do we begin to do? We think, okay, I'm going to double down my efforts. I'm going to work a little bit harder. There's a wall in front of me, and I'm going to break the wall down. That was a really weak kick, okay? I'm going to break the wall down, and I'm going to get through it. I'm going to do whatever I got to do, and I'm going to get there. You ever done that? You had that distorted future reality and all of a sudden it seemed like these things were coming in the way that were slowing you down from getting there and you thought, I'm just gonna work harder. I'm gonna break down more walls. I'm going to get there. Now, understanding the sovereign nature of God does not negate the fact that we have to take responsibility and that we have to work and sometimes work is hard and I'm not trying to suggest that, but there are times and I think most of the time we know when we're in that time when uh, the time isn't yet for us to get there. And these things come in the way and we think, I'm just going to break it down. And God's saying, you don't need to break it down. At the right time, I'll remove it. And oftentimes what it does is it upsets our calm and our quiet because we don't think we can be calm and quiet until that moment. And so we rush it and then we get there. You ever get somewhere too early and it's awkward? You're like, you know, you were supposed to be at dinner at the person's house at 6.30, but you show up at six and they're still in their whatevers. You're like, I'm not supposed to be here right now. We can do that with God. We can show up and we get there too early and God's like, you weren't supposed to be here yet. I'll get you there when you need to get there. And it disrupts our calm and quiet along the way when we're, when we're forcing the issue 
And David understood the sovereign nature of God. He understood that God would get him there. This was no more clear uh, than in a particular story when, when David was, uh, he was in that season between, and he found himself with this moment where Saul was exposed, both literally and figuratively, right? Saul is exposed, and David was there, and David had this moment where he could have killed King Saul, he could have become king himself then, he could have grasped on to that, that future reality that was going to bring all of his calm and all of his quiet, it was right there for the taking, and his, his own people around him, which is just a picture of the world saying, do it, take it, now's your moment, seize the day, grab hold of it, step into your future reality. That's where all of your calm and quiet is going to be found, and this is your moment, take it. But David knew that to do that would affront the sovereign nature of God and his character, and so he didn't because he trusted God. And it was years later then. He had to wait in the season even more. How could he do that? Because he had learned to calm and quiet his soul. And sometimes the world does that for us. The world's like, just take it. Just do it right now. You don't need to go through the normal process. You don't need to, you, you don't need to walk through God's plan. Just, just jump up a couple of steps. And oftentimes what that means, by the way, uh, whenever we throw character out the window, whenever we throw God's nature and integrity out the window, that's us responding to the world's pressure to seize what we aren't supposed to take yet. And it will disrupt our calm and quiet when it is an affront to God's character. But David understood the sovereign nature of God. And so he could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I can wait, even when the world around me is telling me to take it. It's good to know about a sovereign God. But a sovereign being, a sovereign God can be a little bit scary unless we know the next thing that David knew. And that was, he said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or if you grew up in church like I did in the 80s and the 90s, God is good all the time. There we go. We know the old people. All right. Now, he knew God's goodness. He wasn't just sovereign. He's good. He's good. And David had seen God's goodness over and over in his life. David could, could look in, and he would often reflect on this in the Psalms, about how good that God had been to him, how good that God had been to him to, to give him Jonathan as a best friend, how good God had been to him to um, call him out of the shepherd's fields when he had been forgotten by his own family and to even set him down on this path, how good that God had been to him to give him his presence all along the way. And so God, or David, knew uh, both God's sovereignty and he knew his goodness. And so he said, behold, your good God. What, what David was able to grasp there so that he could say that he had calmed and quieted his soul, the apostle Paul would say a little bit later when, when uh, he would write, not a little bit later, like a thousand years, so years later, when he'd say that God works out all things together for your good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In other words, if you're walking down the path to that reality that is a promise of God, then that which will happen, God will work it out for good along the way. And so David could trust God, not just because he was sovereign, but because he was sovereign and he was good. And perhaps this year, the reason that you're calm and you're quiet is not present is because you've begun to doubt God's goodness. You've looked in and you said, God, I don't get this. 
Like I can, I can acknowledge God that you're in charge and that you're in control, but then you get a little Job-like in the, in the scriptures where you say, okay, you might be in charge, but you're not good. You might be in charge, but how could you let this happen? You might be in charge, and if you loved me, this would not be. And so you can't be calm and quiet because things are happening, and you're like, yeah, God, and you're the one in charge, and you're letting this happen. And it causes this inner turmoil. There's no calm and there's no quiet. Job did this. He, he lashed out to God. And in one of the funnier moments of scripture, God lashes back. Well, God doesn't lash back. God responds. I don't know. Maybe he does. God responds back to Job. And he says, man, where were you when I formed the world? Can you make it rain? And he goes after Job, affronting his, his goodness. And so David could say, I've calmed and quieted my soul. Why? Because he's sovereign and he's good. The third thing that David knew, and the third thing I think he was saying when he was saying, oh, Lord, oh, Jehovah, he is sovereign. Yes, he is good, but he's also active. He's also active. And so you can be good and you can be sovereign, but if you're not doing anything, it doesn't matter. And maybe that's where you've been this year as it relates to God. You're like, God, I do know you're good because I've seen it in the past. And I do know that you're sovereign because that's pretty obvious, but it seems like you went on vacation because you're not moving. I've been praying. Haven't you heard me? I even asked other people to pray, and I never asked other people to pray, and you're still not moving. And the calm and the quiet goes because you think, okay, God, maybe you are sovereign and maybe you are good, but, but I'll go ahead and I'll take care of the goodness. I'll go do the thing that needs to get done because, God, it doesn't seem like you are. And in our belief that God is being inactive in the, either the current situation or inactive in helping us arrive at the promise that preferred future reality, um, uh, we, we begin to lose our calm and quiet because we might just think, well, I'm on my own. He's not moving. Oh, David knew that God was active in his life. He knew that God was active when he helped him to, to uh, kill the, the lion and the bear. He knew he was active when he helped him slay Goliath. He knew he was active when he preserved his life when Saul wanted to kill him. He knew he was active when Jonathan, his friend, put himself in harm's way so that David might be free. He knew he was active when David was alone in the wilderness and God sent him people to come out and to support him. David knew that God was active all in his life, even when he didn't see it or know it. And God is active in your life. And God comes in and he, and he moves and sometimes we don't see that it's happening, but he is. Sometimes I come in on Saturday mornings um, to practice my sermon. I like to practice my sermon on the stage and you know, preach to the, the empty auditorium. And, and sometimes I'll get here before the, the cleaning team. We got an awesome cleaning team of volunteers and they come in and they clean the building. And uh, sometimes I'll get here before they come. And when they get here before, like I walk in the door and I just can't help it. Like if I see something on the ground, I want to pick it up and throw it away. And then those who like do production volunteers, they'll, they'll tell you like, like if before service comes in, they'll see me, I'm like walking through the chairs and you might walk in, you're like, oh, how spiritual Stephen is praying over the chairs. Nope, I'm picking up trash, okay? It's not that spiritual, right? That's what I'm doing. And, and so I walk in and, uh, and I see all of that. I'm like, oh, I got to do this and I got to vacuum and, and, and then and all of it. And like, I got to make sure that this happens. And it like destroys my calm and quiet as I walk in. But other times I get here after I get here after the cleaning team is done and I walk in and what can I do? I, I can like smell the cleanliness. 
There's nothing on the ground. I open up the bathroom door and there's like a sparkle on the bathroom floor and it isn't urine. It's the mop, right? And, it, and there's a difference between arriving somewhere when God has already moved and arriving after he's moved and cleared the path. And when it's good and you get there and you arrive at the place or you, or, or you get to the, the season and it seems like, yeah, there's been enemies, there's enemies, but God has been moving. And all of a sudden you get to this place of calm and quiet and you go, God, you already came in and did the work. Look what you've already done. It's such a different experience. And so David could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Why? Because he trusted in the sovereign, good, and active God. And this year, if you've been faced with things that have made you doubt any of those three things, I hope this morning and this series is simply a reminder to you of the sovereign good and active God working in your life. And maybe this morning is just a time for you to reflect and think, he has been active. I mean, look at the new people he's put in your life. Look at the, the new insights he has given you into scripture. Look at the things that he has provided for you out of the blue. Look at for the way that someone reached out to you when you were down and it lifted up your spirit. That was God being active and being active and being active. And one of the beauties about our relationship with God is God is also active out into the future. And so as we look at next year even, and we're in this place, and some of you, your disordered future reality is somewhere out in the future of 2022. And you think, as soon as I get there, I'll be calm and quiet. But let me tell you something. God is already active in all of that. He's already moving. He's already uh, active in, uh, in your relational world out into the future. He's already active in your business out into the future. He's already active out into, for those of you, you're like in college, you're like, I don't know what to do next. God's already active out there. And we get to rest and have a calm and quiet soul because we know that a sovereign, good, and active God is already being active in all of his sovereign and good ways for us. And so David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. There's one thing else that David knew. So you can be good and you can be sovereign and you can be active. God can be all those things. But God is also this. He's also deeply personal. That's why David said those words. He said, I, this poor man, this poor king, I, this poor man, I cried. I cried and he knew me. He said, I had fears and he calmed them. This sovereign, good and active God is also deeply personal. He knows you. He knows you. And so David is like, I I've called him quiet in my soul. Why? A sovereign, good, and active God is personal, and he knows exactly what I'm walking through right now. He does know that future reality that I want to arrive at. He knows all that I'm facing right now. He, he knows every tear that I've cried. He's, he knows every fear that consumes my mind. He knows every anxious thought, every worry that begins to take over my heart. He has heard them all. He's heard my cries. Even if I haven't cried them, he knows me better than I know myself, and he is deeply personal. And he knows you. He knows you. And so this good, sovereign, active, personal God then invites us into prayer. And so that's what David's doing here. Oh, Lord, it's a prayer. Oh, sovereign one. And in David's prayers, 
A few things that we learn about them that need to be present in our prayers if we're going to arrive at this place. So you're going to see in the rest of the psalm that this is not like a, it's not like a magic potion. It's not like a quick thing. In fact, the uh, famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this on reflection of Psalm 131. He said, it is one of the quickest to read, but one of the slowest to apply. One of the quickest to read, it's only three verses, one of the slowest to learn. This is a process, and it is a process of spiritual transformation that changes us from those who have no calm and quiet soul to those who, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of other people, can say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And so in this prayer then, David, uh, when he prays to this personal God, David always prays honestly. This is what I love. Uh, One of the things I love about the Psalms and one of the things I love about David in his prayer life is that he, he prays the honest prayer. He lays out that which is inside of him. And he's like, God, I know this. This is going on. And this is what is disrupting the calm and the quiet. A lot of times we commit acts of, I'll call them prayer perjury. Prayer perjury. You're like, you're before God, and you like perjure yourself before God. You're like, oh, I'm not really that worried about this, God. You haven't slept in a week. Or God, this is what's really bugging me. And you know deep down inside there's something deeper. There's no reason. God knows you already. To be honest with him in prayer. But here's why, here's why. Oftentimes we're not. Because David knows And we know, I think, that when we begin to be honest with God in prayer, then God will use his his word, his scripture, to begin to penetrate the places of our heart that have closed him out. One of the most amazing things about reading God's word is what? That we don't just read it to learn more about God, and we don't just read it to learn more about the Christian faith or the history of the church. We read it, and what does it do? It reads us. We read it and it reads us. And so when we go to him in prayer, in the times of unsettled souls, and we open up the scriptures, it begins to read us and then through honest prayer, then we come to a place where we have a choice. And David said, I've calmed and quieted my soul, but his next line is this, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's not an easy process. It's not a quiet process. It's not a, like, this just happened once, and now we're there. No, it is a process of spiritual transformation. Uh, the doctrinal term is sanctification. It's a process, and what happens in the process, what happens in the process is where we don't trust in God's sovereign goodness and activity, we begin to trust in it. What happens in that process is through prayer and through reading the scriptures and letting it read us where we have sin in our lives, sin that we're um, more focused on it than we are on him. When we begin to do this, that sin uh, becomes to come to the surface and then we do as Paul instructed us to do to crucify that sin. And Paul uses the word crucify sin, not because he's saying this is gonna be super easy because he's telling you this is gonna be hard because your heart loves it. Your heart loves it. And by the way, some of us, what we want to do is simultaneously pray, God, I want to learn to calm and quiet my soul like he talked about, but I also want to hold on to this, this sin or this rival love. And can I tell you something? By God's very 
good nature to you as your heavenly father. I don't believe he will allow you to simultaneously hold on to your sin or your idol worship and arrive at this calm and quiet soul. And I don't want him to let you. And I want him to let me. Because I don't want uh, a rival love to Christ to sit in my heart and for me to go, yeah, but I'm also, I'm calm and I'm quiet and I'm good. Then you know what God does instead? He beats at your heart. He wakes you up in the night. He puts sermons in front of you that make you squirm. He says, I want you to be calm and quiet, but I also want you to lay it down. I want you to repent if you need to. I think David, he learned about a calm and quiet soul and there would be another moment in his life where David would fall into sin and then he would write Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, you don't get the idea of a calm and quiet soul. You get the idea of a soul that is being ravaged. But what happens David walks through the process of repentance. He walks through the process of confession. He lays the sin down. And then I believe that David probably picked Psalm 131 back up and he said, ah, and I've calmed and quieted my soul again. Because that's what grace does. See, there's an individual nature to this when David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. In other words, I am willing to go through this process. But then there's something else in the end of it. I think it's also a hopeful thing. David's saying, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And then David ends the psalm, and we'll end this in our third week of this, where he says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And I think that David, when he's saying out, oh, Lord, he's thinking about his second, oh, Lord, later on in the psalm, when he says hope in the Lord, that David knows that this personal um, prayer where where you're going to go through this work of sanctification, uh, where you're going to let scripture read you instead of you just reading it, it ends always in a place of hope. See, the, the beauty of the gospel is that when we walk through the process of this sanctification, when we walk through the process of learning how to calm and quiet that which is inside of us, that we walk out on the other end and God does have a sovereign, good, active thing that he's doing. See, the process of repentance and the process of transformation, God doesn't walk us through that so we can get us out to something on the other end that's worse. He walks us in that and through that because he knows on the other end is freedom from it. And so David says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And I think there's something in that that, that, the, that, that, that each and every one of us can look at and go, well, what if I could say that? What if I could say, I have calmed and quieted my soul? I mean, in 2021, at the end of 2021, going into 2022 with the two years that everybody's had, I don't know if there's a more evangelistic statement that we could say as followers of Christ than, yeah, I get it, it's crazy, that happened, and then this happened, and no one saw that happening, and I thought this was gonna happen, but it never happened, and I had a distorted future reality, but now it's like three rungs down the ladder further away than where I was, but in the midst of it, guess what? I have calmed and quieted my soul. It didn't happen the way I wanted it to. I've calmed and quieted my soul now. It's been way slower, but I've calmed and quieted my soul. I thought I was going to need that in order to ever be happy, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. 
The circumstances, there's two things that are noticeably missing in this psalm. A change of circumstances and other people. And in both of those, David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And the same can be true for you. Circumstances don't have to change. People don't have to change. But you can. Your heart can. And you can get to a place like David did where you say, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. A couple, I guess it was a little bit ago, um, there was this, this decision I had to make in life, and it was a, neither option was sinful, right? Like they were both, um, I won't call them both good options, but they were, neither of them were sinful options. And it was one of those times where, like, I was just, I was losing sleep over it. And I was like, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to do A or am I going to do B? And, and it was just kind of, um, it was tormenting me way more than I thought. And when, when the original thing had happened, I had an initial instinct of what I was going to do. But then I talked myself out of it, out of the initial instinct. And then I allowed myself to live in this tension for like three or four days. Like this cloud was just kind of like hanging over you. You ever get that? Like there's just this fog that seems to be hanging over your life and there's weight. Sometimes we call it a fog. Sometimes we call it a weight. You're like, I can't think clearly or or I just feel like there's like this heaviness inside of me, right? Uh, And so I was walking through that and then uh, I'm trying to sleep and I'm waking up in the middle of the night and, and then I got to my morning scripture time and I tell you this all the time. I tell everyone you should have a daily devotional because for me, it's the only way I know how not to become a horrible person. Right. And so I wake up in the morning and I'm reading through this particular passage of scripture. And in two times in three chapters, two characters are given these moments where they're going to decide between two options, neither of which are sinful, on which one they're going to do. And there's this implication of which one is the right decision. And both times the characters make the right decision, the integrity filled decision. And then actually both times after it, in three chapters, seven twice, God says, and then out of their obedience, he promoted them. He promoted them out of their obedience. And and I woke up that morning and I knew exactly what I had to do. And the good thing was, is that there was a physical action of something that I could do in order to just do it. So I just woke up and I did the exact same thing. And it was crazy. I was just, as soon as I did it, it was like, whew. I thought, man, I've calmed and quieted my soul calmed and quiet in my soul. Some of you, there might be a physical thing you need to do. Others of you, it might be a mental, emotional, spiritual thing that you just need to do. Others of you, until you do it, the fog will not lift. Why? Because he loves you. Because when the fog begins to lift, then all of a sudden we think we don't need to act in obedience. But because he loves you, the fog is still there. The weirdness is still there. The tension is still there. But he loves you so much, and so he's going to leave it on. And I love you, so maybe I'll pray that he just makes it thicker and thicker until you walk in integrity. Because then in that moment, it will lift, and I think you'll be able to say, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And I want this Christmas to be calm and quiet for you. Not because your family won't be crazy this year. They probably will be. Not because you get everything you want or you get the Christmas bonus you thought or whatever. But because you've done the work you needed to do in here. And if nothing changes and you don't get there any quicker, 
you can still say, I've calmed and quieted my soul. Let's pray. As we go to you in prayer, Father, I think of the moment when Christ was the better picture of David facing the excruciating pain of the cross. He prayed the most honest prayer, crucifying his desire that was birthing in for another way and submitting it to your will. And there on the cross then, he faced all of the weight of the world. And actually in that moment, Christ had the anguished soul separated from the presence of his father so that we never would have to. So that whenever we face what we face, we always do it, we can do it in your presence. And so Father, I pray for my friends gathered here today that you would teach all of us how to calm and quiet our souls. Father, I pray that in these next moments of reflection, that you would move what needs moved, that you'd quiet our minds. And Father, I would, I would hope that many of us have already heard your voice and your prodding. May this next moment then be the moment where we decide we will walk in the right. We will do what needs to be done. Oh, and Father, I pray that when every or anyone does that, like David, they would be able to say that they've calmed and quieted their soul. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.